Hello, it's time to chat with me, Rose. And me, Kamea. On this show, we have courageous conversations that illuminate shared experiences related to food and gender. We are here to help folks and digest their relationship to food. In today's episode, we talk about plant-based eating, meat, and sex, and how our diets can be a form of climate action. My own inequality. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a hot minute since we've hung out. I know. Have you been cooking anything? Like, since the last time I saw you, did you cook anything that memorable or things that you were excited about? Hmm. Not really at home, but oh my gosh, I don't think I've cooked anything that I'm super excited about. Gross. To be honest, <laughs> I made jalapeno poppers at work from a freezer. And that was you were like, woo! Oh yeah, I was pretty stoked on that. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I've been really snacky at home for the most part. So, ooh, um, I didn't make it, but when I was sick, Nathan made French onion soup from scratch, and it was freaking delicious how do you make french onion soup from scratch i've never made it um i mean to be actually honest i guess i've never really made it from scratch but we have the beef bones in the freezer so he made beef broth and then just caramelized a bunch of onions tons of butter um did you do it in the instapot or did you do it on the stove he did it on the stove and then um toasted a bunch of croutons threw that on the top with some swiss cheese and broiled it and it was really good it was just it's just like a hearty thick broth with onions and I was like I feel like I really need this it sounds like the perfect combination of just like pure comfort and a little bit of indulgence in your body just being like thank you it was exactly what I wanted so that was really delicious oh Nathan Mm -hmm. yeah what a guy so that was pretty good but what about you cooking Mm -hmm. god it's been a while since I've seen you um it's bean season I've been cooking so many beans I'm actually a little bit sick of beans um like fresh picking mm-hmm. green beans and in my home garden I grow these Italian because you can't find them and I love them they're these Italian flat beans called Romano beans I brought you some I was gonna say you brought ones. me some they're so yummy and like the best description I have for them is that they're buttery but you kind of just eat them like a green bean but sometimes their outsides are a little bit tougher than a fresh green bean so I blanch them in salty water because you gave me a long talk about mm-hmm salting my blanching water and it actually made a difference i know they were really tasty um so i blanched the beans and then i did them with some fresh parsley and a really quick honey mustard vinaigrette um but what the blanching did was just made them a little bit more tender so for the blanching it was just like i think two minutes till they brightened in color and i had trimmed them cool them off really quickly and i was really proud of myself because i was super efficient i cut some of the spring onions from the farm and I soaked them in ice water so that they weren't as like mm-hmm. as harsh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it, and I don't Takes really a know little of the onioniness away. Yeah, I don't know why that works, but it does. But I like had my onions soaking in the ice water, and then I dumped my beans, and then I dumped the ice water of the onions over the beans. So it was like Ooh. a one two like done, and then I dumped it back in the pot, and then I stirred it with the honey mustard vinaigrette and. I um, honestly just ate it over buttered rice. It was fucking That sounds so delicious. With those beans that you brought me, I just threw them in a stir fry. And I just did like those beans, onions, and cabbage. And we just did it with like these like ramen like noodles. And it was so good. We just kept it really simple. Cool. It was really delicious. I also ate quite a few of them raw. They're so yummy. They're so good. 
I was really into it. And they're beautiful. So, yeah. but anyway, beans, 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 and beans. So many Lots of beans. beans. Goodness. Did, Did you, you eat ever... a lot of beans as a kid? Um, not as a kid. I mean, I, I mentioned this in the comfort foods episode that I loved green bean casseroles as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, young vegetarian. That vegetarian little girl you were. Yeah. I, uh, how long were you a vegetarian? Or you were vegan, though. When I met you, you were fully vegan. Yeah, so the timeline is... Oh, God. So I went vegetarian in 2001. And you might ask me, like, why do I remember so clearly? Well, there was a lot of shit going on in the world. <laughs> you might know that. Um, and for context, I was about 10 years old, um, but there was a lot going on in my family life too. My mom was going through a divorce and my grandma got cancer. So it was just like a lot of life transition happening. Right. But yeah, so I was 10 when I went vegetarian and it was a decision that my mom had actually already made where she had decided to go vegetarian. And I remember asking her like, mommy, why don't you want to eat meat? Because you know, at 10, I'm also starting to pay attention to more, like, I'm making food decisions for myself. I've already established a lot of what I like, what I don't like, some of my core comfort foods, what's, like, my home influence as 10 years old has influenced a lot of my, like, here's my foundation of how I eat as a person. I know that now as an adult. I don't know that at 10. Right. At 10, I'm like, mommy, why are you making this decision? And she tells me, oh, because meat comes from animals. And I remember looking at my precious cat karma and just being like what what I can't eat my cat that's animal Mm -hmm. and so it just opened up a whole other world for me so I was vegetarian for about three years and I learned a lot about food and it was a weird thing during that time too because my father figure would do things like give me bologna sandwiches and tell me it's not real meat (gasps) and that's so terrible I but I didn't know right I was a child then of course I'd come home and she'd be like honey what did you have like while you're at your dad's for the weekend I'm like oh like we did this like we had this corn salad we did like green bean casserole, <laughs> casserole with like, probably bacon um I don't remember that but the bologna sandwich one I remember because when I came home and I told her like oh we had bologna sandwiches and they were like super tasty because like I'm 10. Bologna sandwiches are fucking They're delicious. delicious. It's white bread and mayonnaise and cheese and like all of my like reward systems in my brain are like pew pew mm-hmm. pew. This is good. I have fond memories of bologna as a child. Did you eat it as a child? <laughs> my grandma growing up she was a big bologna lover and my mom would never buy that kind of thing ever. So when I would go and visit her that was like my special treat and we would do these things where I wish I remember what she called them. She had a funny name, but she would take a pickle, like a whole pickle, and we'd wrap it in American cheese and then bologna, and then I'd eat it like just I, in my hand. I do that. It sounds messy and kind of and delicious, like the perfect hangover food. Perfect hangover food. Didn't know that at four years old, <laughs> but it was That's my good. like treat that I would have when I'd go to my grandma's house. Early influences for me, um, well, the internet wasn't what it is today mm-hmm. at all but um I did watch the matrix did you ever Ooh, see that I've never seen it honestly I've never seen the matrix not the matrix the matrix the matrix oh dear I haven't seen either 
It's a, it, you haven't seen either? Mm-mm. Okay, well, I haven't actually seen the full Matrix. My partner, like, when I explained this, like, I watched this thing. It was, like, this spoof on the Matrix. And I've, like, never seen it. But, like, I get the concept. Like, I get it. I get it. You get the red pill, the blue pill. One of them you see the reality, this alternate thing. And then the other one you, like. You're saying stuff. I have no idea. I've, I have literally. All I know about the Matrix is there's, like, this, like, backbend that happens. And, like, slow motion. What are you talking about? <laughs> I fell asleep halfway through the movie. Okay. <laughs> Because all I know is it was supposed to be this epic thing, but I feel like it gets made fun of a lot right now. Like these days, I don't know. I think it probably. I know nothing about it. But anyway, we are Um, not educated on the movie The Matrix, so please, please educate us. I don't know that I need that in my life. I would agree. I would agree. We're good. We're good. We get it. Thank you, but no thank you. Anyways, uh, so you watched The Matrix. The Matrix. And so that came out around 2003. <laughs> and <laughs> The Matrix. I kind of want to pause the recording and make you watch it so you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. <laughs> well, it's funny because we were talking about, you had kind of mentioned this like off air and this whole time I thought it was the actual Matrix. No, it's so I'm kind of blindsided. It's a, it's a sp- <laughs> Like it wasn't actually the movie. <laughs> no, it's a, it was an internet video. It was a cartoon that was a spoof of the Matrix. So it's a cartoon as well. Yeah, and it's less than five <laughs> minutes long. It's a little short video. <laughs> oh my I'll god! Link it okay. in the show, the show notes. Um, but what it is is the same concept of like you have the this opportunity to like see the truth beyond what you know, or you can t- continue to be naive and live in blissful ignorance, essentially. The story is set that this pig is, like, on a happy, like, what we imagine, like, meat to come from farm. Like, oh, here's, like, where your meat comes from. Like, happy, like, neighborhood family farm, which was true at some point. And, like, when you're describing your family, like, a lot of your meat sources were coming from, like, I know this animal. I have a relationship with this animal. Mm -hmm. It lives life and it feeds us in this way. And that's just, like, not the reality. And so the for most of where our meat comes from and the cartoon shows the like here's this pig that's like living on this happy farm and is presented with the opportunity to understand like where the majority of your meat comes from and it showed like cartoonized so it's like really glazed over like really sugar-coated ideas of where like factory farmed chicken comes from and um cow production and the difference between like no but like as we've industrialized food we've had to like pack animals into more and more gross conditions and so it raised a lot of questions for me like a lot of food documentaries were kind of becoming a thing and we were still going to video stores and I was like curious about food so I'd Mm -hmm. like get a food documentary here and watch it and like get a food documentary here and watch it and so um I think there was one I think it was called go further I have to verify but um it was just like look like this is where your dairy products come from and like we pump our cows so full of hormones that they're like bleeding and having infected udders but like we just treat the milk in such a way so that people don't get sick from like the pus and blood that's like in the milk I'm sorry your face is like maybe I'm oversharing but like (laughs) at 13 years old I was like oh my god this is so disgusting and repulsive to me like I hadn't considered it's also like not nice no I'm thinking of like my I'm going to my teenage like vegetarian that's just not nice like, is that how you talk it's not nice it's not nice to do you're that you're a mean girl don't be mean to the little animals okay it's not that hard don't be mean 
I was that kid. I remember I was yelling after other. I didn't have a lot of childhood friends because I would just like go up to them and being like, "You're being mean. Why are you doing that?" And they'd be like, "Fuck, like I'm not gonna hang out with you because this girl just like keeps asking weird questions." Anyway, I like <laughs> sharing core memories. Like I remember <laughs> seeing a group of kids. I was like, "I want to play with them at this park," and they're like chasing geese. Like, oh, I hated baby that. Geese. And I'm just like, why are you chasing them? Do you want me to chase you? Do you want me to chase you? And they're just like, no. Do you want us to chase you? And I'm like, no, mommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go hang out over here. I was a similar child, but I was less vocal about it. And I would more like position myself between them and the geese. And then I'd act like aloof. Like I didn't realize I was in the way. Or you wouldn't talk to them. Like, and hey. You're I wouldn't mean. like like verbally talk to them. But I was very like secret agent style like. I'm going to, like, do whatever I can to, like, fuck with their plan. Channel your inner Kim possible. Exactly. That's exactly what I did. (laughs) Or I'd, like, throw stuff to distract them and be like, that wasn't me. Somebody's throwing things. Somebody's throwing things. Anyway, speaking of distractions. So many distractions. Topic at hand. Um, I went vegan at 13. Okay. And I was vegan um, most of my teenage years until about the time you came into my life it was not your fault um but I just like <laughs> I I kept deepening those questions it was like at, at with a teenage brain it was just like no this is not what you do and originally it was just like an ethical decision of like this is not how you treat members of our community and I don't really see the separation between the suffering of animals and the suffering of women or people of color like it's it, there is it's a all the same argument to be yeah. made that opp- systems of oppression are systems of oppression um it was just like a feeling of like this is wrong that's how I felt too it was just it felt like I wouldn't do this to somebody I loved and cared about and I wouldn't even do this to somebody that I didn't know that I knew had a beating heart and a brain and a life that it, it lived in a purpose like I wouldn't do that so why would I like expect that in a farm so I grew up with my dad was a hunter and most men in my family were pretty avid hunters. Um, you also had livestock and on your property. Yeah, right? we had chickens growing up, ducks, turkeys. Um, at one point, we had sheep and alpacas. I have like really young memories of my dad bringing um, deer home and hanging it in the garage and skinning it and butchering it. And I was always like right there for that. So, always ever since I was a young kid, I love bones, I love blood and guts. It's just my thing. But, um, yeah, I just, I think I've always known pretty much where meat comes from, but it wasn't until I was probably like, I said 15 that I understood what like industrial meat was and how dark that can be. And so that really like changed the way I thought about meat kind of forever. Cause I still don't have the same relationship after going through the documentaries and the articles and the images that you find when you look for them so (laughs) not ideal but I remember because I was older than you were when I kind of like started experimenting with vegetarianism one thing I remember through my research and like watching documentaries and just really like immersing myself into that was the climate change aspect and just the fact that the like it was really bad for our world the pollution of factory farms the overconsumption of meat and I remember like around that age 15 16 17 
and people would ask me like oh what so like are you gonna judge me like my teenage friends for eating meat or like oh oh, does that bother you and they'd like put meat in my face like oh does that disturb you does it bother you and I would be like no it actually sound like dicks yeah I didn't have I didn't roll the greatest crew at that time um yeah they would taunt me with that a lot and I would just kind of respond like I'm not against eating meat necessarily and my dad is a really um passionate outdoorsman and like he gets to know that animal he's very like intimately involved with that and he's he he believes that it is a gift that it is given to you and that you should respect that and use every single part of it um and take it seriously because you took the life of that thing to bring to your family and provide for your family like take it seriously so um I always really connected with that mindset and I was like tell my friends I don't disagree with eating meat I just don't want to participate in the factory farms in the cruelty of animals and the like pollution that it causes and those are like the three things that I've just on a very basic level understood um so your reasoning originally was very environmental focused that was a it was a big part it was a big part um and that's probably very very much to do with the media that was coming to me at that time about vegetarianism and veganism um but yeah it was a thing that I felt like the people around me at that time didn't really understand like you could look at it as a big picture like that again I'm not vegetarian but I do like I generally lean towards plant-based eating and I think that Mm -hmm. that like generally is just like blown out of proportion as a term and then sold to us in all these different like food products like our fucking goddess bowl that we ate at our mm-hmm. at our tasting oh it's the just goddess like, bowl oh but it's got this much protein and like but mm-hmm. it's just like one of those things it's just like shoved down you like you cannot it's literally shoved down your throats and or down my throat anyway shoved down all of our throats meat meat you can make a euphemism <laughs> you totally could gotta love my meat right there i mean sausages are pretty phallic they are there's no denying that a lot of food is phallic though in both like both genders i feel like that's a whole that could be a whole episode i (laughs) i see your mind wander and then you're like oh oh yeah (laughs) you eat meat now though i do eat meat what did you think now I did try the Beyond Meat burger because I was curious. And I and recently, again, like recently, what did you think about the Beyond Meat burger? As I, somebody who was a veg a vegan for a really long time, I was a vegan for probably six, seven years. Yeah, yeah. that's a long time. It was a long time, um, and I was really struck by the amount of ingredients I couldn't pronounce and the amount of things that don't look like plants. I, um, we got the like ground and meat, and I'm using quotes, okay, to make our own burgers with because I wanted to like, I didn't want to get the like preformed thing. Like I wanted to experience the food and I was just really curious about it. And so we made burgers with it and the texture was super weird and it cooked super weird. Like, the flavor was okay, but the thing that just struck me is, like, this is a food that's pretending to be something else. And that's how I was taught to be vegetarian. Like, a lot of the vegetarian culture, at least when I was in it, it doesn't necessarily set you up, at least from a food product standard, 
and again I was a kid so I'm almost like eating whatever's right. available to me it is things that keep reminding you of the thing you can't have and so it just like perpetuates the like well but I can't have this or this is almost this instead of it just being like a completely different food instead of being I, I mean there is the like oh we're gonna make like mushroom burgers or we're gonna make black bean burgers and that's, that's like also so a different good. food and it's really delicious but the beyond meat burger was just like pretending to like it was lying to me it was straight up lying to my mm-hmm. face and I hate liars I hate liars mm-hmm. I got the preformed patties when they first came out and I was curious too of course some people enjoy it and we had talked about this a while ago it's a comfort thing texturally those little like snippets of flavor it's totally a comfort thing it's something that feels like a space that they know in a certain way or that's somewhat familiar yeah but I felt the same way I was like I feel like this is lying to me it's trying really hard and it's doing a really good job to be honest it was super charming it's a food super charming super charming like I get it I see what it's doing and it's doing a good job But I don't appreciate it. Didn't appreciate my joke either. (laughs) (laughs) I don't appreciate people trying to get my pants and lying to me about it. Okay. (laughs) Um, it it is, and like when you're describing it, cooks weird. It's just weird, and a part of me feels like, why not? And it's expensive. It was expensive. It's really. It's like surprisingly expensive, and. I'm sure that's because it, they can put it, market it with meat, which is more expensive than vegetables. But I just don't, I feel like I've made so many other things that are like actual vegetable based that are just as freaking good and like doesn't make me feel like I'm not sure what I'm eating because I tried to look up the ingredients of Beyond Meat and same thing because right on the packaging, it's massive. It's like plant-based, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ooh, that's cool grams of protein i'm like okay cool i think i'm eating enough protein and i don't understand grams (laughs) i don't understand grams i think that's why they market it to americans that way because we don't do things in grams but anyways that's a whole other conversation um but i'm just like okay cool plant-based love it love it love it what is it what is the plants and you read it and i'm like this is like such a small list of things potato starch is not a freaking plant but you I can mean, label it as that. Well, there is starch in potatoes. Exactly. And there is protein in peas. But you could also just eat peas. Exactly. Exactly. I'm just like, I don't understand. Like, I've I've done, like, in, like, a Cuisinart, like, just pulverize a bunch of veggies. Like and, what? What veggies? Um, The last time I've done it, I did, like, carrots because I love the crunch. Um, Mushrooms. You could do sweet potatoes. You could do um obviously like onions celery all the basics give it some binding an egg if you're not vegan season it quinoa grains things like that and it's way more flavorful and like texturally pleasing to me the beyond meat freaked me the fuck out i kept looking at it like what is it i can't figure it out i don't like it i don't like it i'm not a fan yeah being a vegetarian i think we love to talk about like oh it must be so hard for you what do you even eat you experience so much social pressure to do it differently. Like you're immediately going against the grain. You're already not a part of the dominant culture. But you culture. have opinions. You have a brain. Me? As a woman, you have opinions and a brain. Oh, not me. How could you? Not me. We're not supposed to have those. No, I keep it to myself. I do a lot of observing. I speak with only a whisper. 
<laughs> Bullshit. It is though. It's I feel like vegetarianism is a really like feminine thing. The ism part is totally implemented by a culture of diets and weight loss and control totally it's the definitely patriarchy <laughs> controlling I mean, women <laughs> but yeah and there is a lot of research that's been done about the correlations between the oppressive nature of animal rights and how patriarchal societies treat animals for their pleasure for their consumption for what you can take from it in the same way that patriarchal societies treat women specifically i'm sorry you're holy shit you're making the face that tells me you need another drink (laughs) no i'm just like fucking yes dude like and like hearing that it just like as a child thinking that it is i wouldn't treat something that's living like a human being the way I would like treat an animal so like why would I do that why would I eat it why would I put it in a confined cage and force feed it or like all of the things that happen and even as a young girl all those times that old men would like for me as a redhead touch my hair or old men pull on your ponytail all these weird things that you don't really know how to like old men and young men old men and young men boys being mean to you on the quote playground boys will be boys boys will be boys like all these things as a child that you experienced but you couldn't quite define or put uh intellectual thought behind and just like hearing that theory it's just like that's exactly why i empathize so much with the animals at that period is because in a way i could see it mirroring a lot of things that i was experiencing and you as well like it just it's unfair treatment and it's not okay Well, and it's the treating something as property and also the way in which someone treats animals can be an indicator of whether or not they will commit violence against another human because there's an othering process that happens right there. And, um, eat or be eaten. Yeah. Women are often compared to different animals. Um, but also what animal are you compared to? By who? By a man. Have you ever, have you ever? I had a man once tell me that I'm like a border collie, but I have the emotions of a bird, and I still have not understood what that means. I was going to say, I don't understand that. Overall, I think vegetables and, you know, the farming aspect of flowers and the the roots of the, the food systems are very feminine, and well, it's the classic hunter-gatherer. Well, there's the hunter-gatherer, like you're saying, and the classic feminine, but, like, the roots of meat being reserved for men. Like, if a woman is pregnant or breastfeeding, their protein needs are considerably higher than Mm -hmm. their male counterparts, even if they're, and I'm using quotes, like, exerting more physical activity. Women work so fucking hard, and this is the, and I hate the, like, binary research, but it's, research hasn't caught up to a more complex understanding of the roles that people accept in society like academia and the research available is very like it's female or it's male and traditionally speaking meat has been reserved for men and you even think about like renaissance painting and you see your goddesses with grapes and Mm -hmm. grains and apples and fruits and 
vegetables and so we're we're is this resonating with you like oh, how, yeah. like does it show up like in your like you work with food yeah no it definitely chef. does I mean I think stereotypically vegetables are always overlooked and always pushed to the side vegetable sides vegetable heavy dishes vegan dishes vegetarian dishes they're always pushed aside and given the least amount of attention the least amount of love when you look at the industry as a whole only like 20 some percent of it is led by women and everything else is just meat heavy meat heavy it's also a consumer issue too um because meat is valued at a lot higher price than it is vegetables but so as a consumer if I come to your restaurant I have a certain expectation mm-hmm. of when I order the main meal the meat's going to take up x amount of space yeah. on my plate because I'm paying for this experience and I absolutely want to be absolutely even if you have like a really nice cut of meat and so your like menu price is really high like it better at least visually look big whether that's like plating it in a certain way or like portioning that meat in a certain cut so that it looks the possibly the biggest like that's always something you think about when you're creating a menu item especially if there's a piece of red meat specifically or seafood on there I'm having a really hard time not thinking about penises you want my meat girl like that's what it is it's ridiculous and the women always get pushed on not just vegetables but baked goods too all the sweets are always pushed on to the girls which i think is really funny that's a whole separate thing but snails and puppy dog tails wait no Ooh, do you remember that i was gonna say you're popping up a memory for me right there but um where i work right now so i'm the head chef and then my sous chef um is a guy and he's badass but he very much is much more comfortable cooking meat than i am And I think that's because I don't enjoy eating meat as much as I do vegetables on a personal level. So I don't put as much research attention just naturally to meat stuff. And it's just, I think it's beautiful and cool and badass and all of the things, but it's not where like my style really lies. Um, And he's very like the Viking man. So he has like that meat love and even though he can totally cook vegetables just as good if not better than me but we always like anytime we do a special when collab I'm like I'll do the starch and the veg and you do the protein and we're and we just work well together that's exactly what happens in my household just Mm -hmm. like oh we're gonna grill and then like there's a running joke with me and my husband where it's like okay hun like you're gonna grill the meat because like that's your domain and I'm going to make the salad. And I'll even sometimes joke like, oh, I'll do the women's work. Because, you know, the feminist I am, I'm just right. like, I'm going to call it out. But also, like, that's a very real thing. And objectively, I make better salads. But that is, like, because you're conditioned. a long time. You were literally taught in society. You were never taught how to take a huge pork belly. And what do you do with it, Kamaya? No, I made him teach me how to light the coals. Yeah. You, you weren't taught that. Like, even after culinary school, I still had to ask my father, how do I light a grill? Because that was never put on me as a thing that I have to learn in school. It's just, it's odd, but also like in a lot of ways, as much of a feminist I am, like I'm cool with it because I think meat's incredibly overrated (laughs) and then they're done that kind of a thing. And I think vegetables have so much more in an art sense and a creative sense, like such a broader thing you can do with it. You can manipulate vegetables so much more 
There's more nuance in how they serve the flavor and how you get to know them. And And the colors and and the texture. What their nutrition is. It's beautiful. And I just, I would, I just gravitate towards it so much more. It makes me so much more inspired. So there is 100% an issue with gendering food. 100%. I mean, look at like marketing. Like everything that's vegetable based is marketed to women and everything that's meat heavy is marketed to men well and not just like that man up mentality of like be a man well working out eat your protein you want big muscles eat protein eat more steak but as a woman what it's advertised to me is like i'm objectified alongside the meat so it's like Mm -hmm. i mean i mentioned it earlier in our episode on comfort foods the like I gotta eat a burger in this like yeah if I can be a girl that can eat but like not eat too much mm-hmm. but like be kind of like a and gr- there's an aggressiveness to meat culture like but also a sexualization like it's over sexualized you know what I'm talking a woman about? sitting on a date in a steakhouse and you order a steak and you say I want it rare as possible that guy's fucking wanger is poking up for sure yeah but they can't handle menstrual blood no get the fuck out of here get the fuck out of here but it's really interesting and then like there's this whole other side of masculine meat culture that's like going into a bar and being like what's on the menu boys like oh we got some fresh meat in the house like we all know what they're talking about and it's so weird that it's a reference to the meat I don't know, meat industry? Like, I don't, like, it's just <laughs> weird. It's weird. Like, the sausage fest, that's what I, I use that probably the most out of all the slang Too terms. Many dicks on the dance floor. All the time. Like, in the kitchen, when I'm the only girl, I'm like, oh, just working a sausage fest today, guys. Slinging those sausages. <laughs> like, it's true. All right, but you got your sausage fest. And, and, like, I'll admit, like, sausages are pretty naturally fat. Like, that's a very easy transition I mean, for my I'll, brain. Yeah. Like, I want to put your meat in my mouth. I was going to say, I'll put both in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I need some buns. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sausage fest, sausage party. It's. But, like, okay, how is meat sexualized for you? Um, for me, I think it's, it's, it's that aggression and a lot of times sexual, I mean, there's the world of sexual culture is vast and kink culture is fast. Yeah. There's a fine line between kink and rape culture and there's an aggressiveness to mm -hmm. like the meat culture and the like domination, but there's also the domination of women. Well, it's like you said earlier, like, oh, I could, I'll have your meat in my mouth. Like. That's, that's, a, that's, I feel like a slang, joking, haha, flirting thing that people say. Whether it's been said to you, you've said it, but you've for sure heard something like that. Um, beating off your meat is a masturbation term that I've heard. Beating off your meat? Yeah, beating your meat. That, I would be, like, Have you my never heard phantom <laughs> penis is just, like, <laughs> so sad at that idea. It's sad. Okay. Be, like, being beaten? like um another one that i i think it's the one of the more, <laughs> one of the more crude i am thinking about your phantom oh my god oh your phantom penis i love it <laughs> um another one that's pretty crude for women that i've come across is meat curtains 
Wait, so my meat curtain is my Mm -hmm. vulva and it is making way like a theater entrance for someone else. Open the meat curtains and check out the view. I cannot imagine (laughs) someone coming to fuck me and being like, open your meat curtains. My meat curtains would like shut they would clench hard and be like no fucking way what did you say to me another thing and this is more in like um like a negative connotation and a negative joke that i've heard and mostly heard slash like read online with like terrible threads you know as one does as one does um referring to like a woman's genitals as ground meat of some kind no and that is like an odd thing to me in many ways but that's one that I've come across more than once online obviously like meat is referred to your body um check out that new piece of meat fresh meat what's on the menu um let's go hunting boys like that's something I've heard in group of guys before um i'm also thinking of like cougars going on the prowl exactly and think about like the amount of times your girlfriends i'm not just a piece of meat for you totally like that's something that comes up another one that i think i mean the most classic is wiener yeah wiener is a hundred percent a hot dog wiener an oscar meyer wiener um who doesn't love a classic oscar meyer and then i think the most common one especially like right now in our day and age, oh my god, I sound old, is, <laughs> I'm not that old, shut up, is, um, snack, you're such a snack, and that's, like, my nephews who are, like, teenagers. Your like, nephew told you you were a snack? No, he didn't say, I, I mean, I am a fucking snack, <laughs> but no, he not didn't. not your goddamn meal. I'm a goddamn meal, you pay for this shit. <laughs> you spend your time, you're gonna sit down, you're gonna eat this, you're not I'm gonna a- just pass over me like a snack. I'm an appetizer. I'm a meal and I'm a dessert all in one. <laughs> I'm a goddamn three-course meal. Yeah, we're ending the podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing that you even like read on Tinder where they're like, you know, I'm looking for a snack or, oh, that girl is such a snack. or And even with men too, I see it go both ways in both genders. Um, mostly with like the younger, the younger folk. But... Um, <laughs> it's just it's just weird i don't know i don't but that's the thing food is super sexual whether we want to talk about it or not like we're gonna talk about it we have to it's a real thing and like even and it's because food is also pleasure and it hits a very similar brain part of you where like i mean there's even an episode in friends that's freaking hilarious that they ask a character joey who's just like would you rather have a meatball sub or sex? And he was like, holy shit, I don't know. Like, it hits a similar brainwave of 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 ours. And it's it's hard. Like, sometimes... And also, when is the sex presented? Am I hungry at that time? And I'll be exactly. like, you know, I'm going to perform a lot better if I eat the meatball sub. Like, I'll call you Can we not have minutes. both? Can we have can we have it at the same time? And that's what Joey that's said. That's a whole other thing. Well, that's what I believe. <laughs> is Joey was like, I want... I, he goes, I want, I want a woman between bread, which is very problematic but i think that i'm pretty sure that's what his answer was i want both i want i want i want good sex i want a good dinner can i have both we can have both let's do it (laughs) sorry mom
I feel like that's one of those things as a young girl watching them that I would have just like been like ha ha and not like been able to identify that Joey wanting a woman on bread was problematic. It's super objectifying. But being super young and impressionable at that age watching that show because we were both young middle school to high school um it does it puts a stereotypes in your brain it puts it puts stereotypes in your brain and you can't there is that correlation between the oppressiveness and the objectification of the food Mm -hmm. the meat that you were talking about the buns the objectification of the carbs the meat the like being a man and i just want a woman on bread i want to put my meat in some buns like Mm -hmm. there is definitely a correlation between the oppressiveness of women Mm -hmm. and animals and how diets control the general public in this way and it is it is harmful not just to us as females but also men and also everyone in between yeah so as a kid watching friends like I didn't understand that subversive messaging like yeah Joey was being like really funny like yeah I want a woman between bread but I didn't understand that she was being made to be a piece of meat. Right. I didn't understand. I still like am barely wrapping my brain around the fact like hearing that again and digesting this with you now out loud. Thank God for the podcast. But like (laughs) by him saying that he is making the woman out to be a piece of meat. And there is that through line of like as a man you conquer. There is those pieces of meat. And this is a way in which that – the patriarchy and the way we have society set up harms men specifically and as well as women like as the recipient of somebody that would like to be i wouldn't like to be but that you might visualize stuff on some bread like that harms me and it harms the person that like can't just enjoy totally me as a company now I'm something to consume when well, you put me in that context I am something to consume I even so think are of animals so are animals I even think of in terms of food like one of the very first Beyonce CD that I ever got one of the images on in her little like little booklet of the like slide in cover was a picture of her in a martini glass in like a very scantily clad diamond jewel dripping outfit and she's like she was the martini in the martini glass it's like the same thing it's like you're something to consume you're something to conquer you're something to finish and to absorb into yourself and that's the fucking patriarchy but I mean one reason I think I was vegetarian was not only the morals and ethics that I had but also the cool factor but also I did think a lot about like how much it did affect our climate and that that was probably more so than I even realized part of the pie of why I didn't want to eat meat is because I knew it was bad for the environment and I love nature and I love animals and I always have and so yeah it was just kind of a hot mess of information I mean it's still a hot mess of information yeah right now but it's just I mean the inconvenient truth came out in 2006 so I would have been 15 that's a documentary yeah you would have been 14 it was Al Gore's documentary where he's flying around in a private jet and being like fuck you George Bush I should have won and Uh, climate change is a real thing and like yeah it was a cool documentary I don't think I ever watched it you didn't actually watch Mm -hmm. it I did 
and I was really interested in just like the like oh fuck like a lot of the images those core images my early images of what it looks like for sea level rise like all these things at 15 years old that was one of my first like exposures to that information and I think it was for a lot of people too and as much as that I think the documentary itself as somebody involved in sustainability I find that documentary to be a piece of work (laughs) (laughs) a piece of work she says um but like at 15 that was really interesting and really framed a lot of the context for me and I think yeah when people are just like oh you have anxiety like what what is like this climate anxiety what is that like what's wrong with you it's like for me so if I was 15 and I turned 30 this year for literally half my life the media has been and I don't want to just be like fuck the media I don't want to be in that crowd but like the predominant media around me has been telling me all of these ways in which my world is going to die Mm -hmm. and you know the inconvenient truth it grossed 24 million dollars and that got me curious about like what are the top grossing documentaries of our time Ooh. because like before like netflix where you can just like be like i want to watch a documentary or do you want to watch this babe like it was more of an intentional thing like you had to seek them out you really had to look for them and they didn't just show up on your screen as a suggestion i've been really excited to tell you this for a little while Ooh, i'm like ex- ooh, okay <laughs> because I know you're going to get a crack out of this. So after looking into like, well, how much, like how many people did watch The Inconvenient Truth? And like, was this a big deal or was it just like a big deal to me? And it did, it did gross um, $24 million. That's a lot of millions. And um, the top grossing documentaries in our time so far has been Fahrenheit 9-11, Michael Moore's documentary on 9-11. Wow. I mean, that's super prevalent in our generation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think I might need to go back and rewatch it, given the context of, like, our time right now. Um, The second is March of the Penguins. (gasps) Oh. And do you want to know what the third is? What? It was Justin Bieber's... (gasps) Oh, my God! (laughs) Never Say Never was the third top grossing documentary of our lifetime so far that's that's insane to me and says a lot to me about the priorities of our population (laughs) i sat in this theater and the moment it started like it did all the little trailers and the moment the purple screen pops up i burst into fucking tears that is just my basic bitchness and i will own it how old are you (laughs) what year did it come out I didn't, I didn't look that part up. I think it was like, it came out in 2011. So exactly oh, 10 years ago. Way sooner than I thought. So I was, I I don't know. Do you even remember the premise of the documentary or what it had to show? Or was it just like <laughs> frequent images of Justin Bieber? All of it. I remember, I mean, yes, all of it. Yeah, no, it's really, have you ever watched it? No. You why should watch would it. I do you that? know why you should watch it? Because I own it on DVD. No, you don't. I sure fucking I don't own do. A DVD player. I can't. I feel like we have to stop talking about it. My fangirl's <laughs> coming out. And I just I'm, I'm seeing it. You <laughs> are disintegrating. I own a cardboard cutout of him. You still have that? It's right thing? behind over there. It's right behind my dresser. Really? I can pull it out if we stop recording and I will show you. You I, still have that? I still have it. And I love it. Do you remember when I coordinated mm-hmm. hiding that mm-hmm. in your bedroom for you? I do. 
And it scared the shit out of me. And it was also the best present in the world. <laughs> I can't believe you still keep that. I'm not going to not keep it. <laughs> He's literally like 15 in the picture. <laughs> Let's move on because I'm just, I'm flustered and I can't record in this state. <laughs> I knew I was going to get a reaction. I can't. I didn't know this was the reaction. Kamea, I don't think you understand. I've never <laughs> I don't think you understand because I have Bieber fever. <laughs> anyway, back to vegetarianism. Now the world the, knows the, the giant fan that I am, which I'm not ashamed not of. Not just the vegetarianism, but the climate change aspect, right? It We're was talking huge. about the inconvenient truth. And so, yeah. 15 years old that comes out i'm barely able to handle myself as you've just demonstrated <laughs> <laughs> okay well coming back to climate change media the documentaries the information that was around us you know we have <laughs> a sign of the times we got fahrenheit 9-11 we're talking about the war of our generation let's not touch that i was penguins, gonna say that's a whole other conversation are penguins are life babes is life and then somewhere down the list we have an inconvenient truth um food inc was also on this list and i know you mentioned that as a documentary that mm-hmm. was really formative to you and talking about our industrial food system and there was a couple other ones that you mentioned to me like king corn which i actually never saw it's um, pretty if I remember correctly, it's pretty good. I would recommend it, I believe. But I haven't watched it in years. Low-key, soft recommendation. Soft reference. Yes, very soft. <laughs> um, but I think broadly is just like this overarching, like, here is this increasing information that we have about our industrialized food system and as information gets more accessible and as our ability to do things like make this podcast and get information to each other the more we're able to say like hey there's these systems that we set up that are harming us and harming our planet and harming us and harming our planet and harming our neighbors in this more collective way but it's getting closer and closer to our reality it's not like oh it's over there it's gonna happen at some point It's more of like, oh, this is like in my face reality. You're talking about climate change? Oh, yeah. I feel like that. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like the inconvenient truth was definitely set up as like, this is someone else's problem. And then when that was fed to me at 15 years old, it was just kind of like, okay, well, but the adults are talking about it. They're handling it. Like, it's something that like we're going to avoid. And even as a kid, a lot of the rhetoric that was fed to me was just like, oh, like I read the book 50 Simple Things Kids Could Do to Save the Earth. And that was... uh, Oh my God, you totally would have. That's a freaking adorable. I checked them off. It was part of like my early planning stages. I went through every single one and I learned You were such a proactive child. I was over here just flaunting about Justin Bieber and you were like saving the fucking planet. I didn't feel like I was saving the planet. I was recycling cans. I was making my way through checklists. I was working through project plans. I was... I was buying t-shirts and fucking posters. Well, now I sell t-shirts and posters. So. Yeah, you do. Badass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. My early exposure was just like that. 50 simple things kids could do to save the earth. And I like... I love... Did you ever read Ranger Rick? 
I have no idea what you're talking about. It was about. like an environmental kids magazine, kind of like highlights, but for environmentalist kids. And I was like super into those early, like Jack Hanna, Crocodile Hunter, like mm-hmm. any like kids oriented nature. I wanted ev- I wanted to know everything about the world. And as a kid, it was often sold as like, our world's changing, but it's okay. Right. And then as I got a little bit older, around the time I was 15, 16, it's like the world is changing and maybe it's not okay. Mm-hmm. And now that we're 30 and this most recent um, report, the IPCC, and it's often referred to as the UN climate report because it's a little bit easier to understand but they're literally dumbing down the information for people when they say that because what the ipcc stands for is the intergovernmental panel on climate change and i believe and i haven't actually looked into the organizational structure but the ipcc report that came out this year the thing that is the most profound about it is that it changed the maybe this is going to happen maybe climate change is humans fault to like being more serious and this is scientists from all over the world and governmental bodies needing to get over their bureaucracy get over their bullshit and say not only is this a problem this is a problem now and it's our fault the fact that we got enough men and some women in the room to acknowledge we fucked up this is where we are we can't pretend anymore i I mean i'll link it in the show notes um for folks that are actually interested i think one of the most profound pieces of this particular report is it is the first time that we have more region specific like in this region this is what we think is going to happen in this region this is what we think is going to happen and It's not that we think governments are going to actually make change on this, but it gives social justice warriors, environmental warriors, people doing the work on the ground, another backing to say, look, this is what the scientists are saying. I'm backing you up and I'm putting the pressure on you through the choices I'm making as a consumer or whatever. And I mean, reimagining and doing better, there's so much profit in doing it the same until the wheels fall off. Just like keep going until the wheels fall off. That people are being disempowered and we're exhausted. And yeah, I have a lot to say about this. I feel like I'm I'm riding this until the wheels fall off. Um, <laughs> no, you're you're valid, and it's a lot. It's a lot to. There's a lot, and I take think a on, lot, and of it's a lot to just emotionally go, take. Oh my god! And then they shut down, and <clears throat> we are in that space of shutdown. Guess what? You're gonna buy. You're gonna buy convenience food. You're gonna buy self help. You're gonna buy self. Your even self care is being put into these mm-hmm. productized. Like this is a product that you should consume because things are fucking weird, and you need to do this, and you need to take care of yourself, and you need to hold hold your boundaries. And if you're not upholding your boundaries, then like you're doing your self care wrong. And like, it's just, there's just so much noise that we can't catch a fucking break. And people have stopped living in the world that we want to save. Well, especially when you're buying all of this stuff to make yourself somewhat feel better. That's buying plastic. That's buying, like, the fossil fuels of transportation for those products. Like, it's not helpful at the end of the day, but it makes you feel good in the moment. 
And sometimes I know I'm a victim of that. Like I just want to feel good in that moment. But that's not always helpful when we're looking at like, I don't know, like me and you have talked about this as friends and the fear of where climate's going and where the world's going to be. But it makes me think for the first time in my life in the last five years that like I don't think I want kids. Like I don't think you're alone in that. I've definitely had those thoughts. And I also find a lot of joy in, like, I have a lot of moms in my life that are my peers, and I love their children. And totally. And I'm blessed to have a, a very young, he's a little over a year now, neighbor, and he loves me, and I love him, and I love the state of presence he offers my mind like social media doesn't matter the world's not burning to shit Mm -hmm. every time he comes up to me and he is genuinely curious like I spent an hour with him the other day teaching him how to blow dandelion foos Mm -hmm. and it was the most wholesome pure joy that I had experienced in weeks and I'm just like, okay, well, maybe that makes sense to have kids. I know I'm getting old because kids are getting cuter. Well, but and even cuter. that, like, I 100% agree with that. And I have mom friends that I'm just like, when you're with a child that's so innocent and pure, everything just seems to melt away around you. And a part of me, same thing. I'm like, well, maybe, like, that's the answer to life and joy and happiness is like having this innocence. But then. I don't know, like, I guess the negative part of my brain is like, but is that selfish? Sure, we all want to have somebody there to take care of us when we're old and to take care of us when we lose our minds when we get old. But, like, is that a reason to have a child? I don't, like, I don't know. Is it an ego thing? I don't know. It's just something I'm struggling with right now in my life and relationship with my partner is super important and our time together is incredibly valuable and I'm just not ready for that phase of my life and I don't know when or if I will ever be ready and that's also totally my choice and that's really beautiful and cool because we get to choose that I don't know I also really love my life like it's just, it's just a weird time to be alive mm-hmm. and all the while we're being told like Oh, you're anxious? Why are you anxious? Oh, anxiety's through the roof. What do you have to be anxiety about? Is this my problem? Mm -hmm. Is there something wrong with me? Well, it completely shapes our entire, like, generation. And people that are our age, we all talk about the same things. We're like, should I move somewhere that'll be a better space in case climate change gets really bad within my lifetime? Should I really honestly think about like doomsday preparation like literally you go to costco and they have like buckets of like you know the dried well they're attempting to profit off your emotions exactly and it's like crazy to see that or all of a sudden things are advertised to you that are very like doomsday preparation type stuff and it starts makes you think like should i be preparing for this like should I have a go bag ready? Like maybe I should, I've been told I shouldn't talk about a go bag because if people know that you have one, like I don't, and it like freaks me out. I don't know. And it's, it's a, it's a kind of a frightening place to be, but it also in an other way, it's beautiful because it gets us to live in the moment so much more than we would otherwise. 
I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I would also say we have to be very careful of the reel me back in if I'm getting too academic here but there's a (laughs) lot of colonial programming in your brain that puts Mm -hmm. that of just like you are on your own you need to go back and when shit hits a fan you are on your own you need to be defend be able to defend you and yours you need to feed you and yours and it's that individualistic I am here to go get this yep thing i need to survive my family needs to survive that keeps us we just get caught up in our own like problem solving impulses and like i have to make it better and my actions are the only thing that's going to solve this world and then we get into martyrdom and we sacrifice ourselves and then we don't we don't stop and recognize how we are interconnected and yes my decisions impact your decisions and your decisions impact my decisions we've completely disconnected people and we've isolated them and we've made them lonely i do want to share for those of you who have been i don't want to say a victim of but just like if you are interested in this concept of climate anxiety um a book that i would recommend is called a field guide to climate anxiety and it came into my world um about eight months ago or so it's only about 150 pages long so it's like it's totally worth it to just like dig in but i i I will share the main takeaways for me is one just completely feeling affirmed that i'm not the only person that's afraid that's like making decisions about like am I going to have a child right now what Mm -hmm. like all I can imagine is the walking dead Mm -hmm. we have to imagine better ways of being in order for any of it to make any sense like we just we have to do better and we have to figure out how we're going to cope and how we're going to live um but like one of the main takeaways of the book like if we take nothing else from the book at all is just this idea of believing in the efficacy of how your actions will influence the problem and it the book kind of explains this study where like you have a the I don't know if you've heard of this have you heard of the drowning child in the expanding circle Mm -mm. So the idea is that you have a child that's drowning in a pond and you're walking by and you're asked like, would you save the child? And it's like, absolutely. I would save the child that's drowning there. Like when you go on with these questions of just like understanding moral responsibility, I was like, okay, so suppose you see the child go under and you also see in the distance there's another child beginning to drown, but you can't reach it. So would you be less motivated to rescue the child that's within your reach? And what the research comes to understand is that when you understand that it's not possible for you to save both children, you're less motivated to see save either child. And it's like this weird, like you understand, like when you talk about it in those terms you're like well that's kind of fucked up like why wouldn't I just save the child but what the researchers have come to understand like if you just feel hopeless if you feel like this is a drop in the bucket like I can't 
I literally can't. I can't make a difference. I'm going to save this child and it's the actions of saving this child. Like, yeah, it feels good. Like I save a child. I'm a hero. And like, we're so praised for being a hero. But like, if you save one child and you know another child drowns, is it, is it canceled out? Is it actually canceled out? Mm-hmm. And the research suggests that like, actually, yeah, we just, we go, fuck it. I don't have time to save a child. I'm actually gonna keep walking. I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna get some tacos and a margarita because like, I can't handle the thought of dead children today. You're usually the dark one. I was gonna say this is this is a different level, but I'm into it. Let's we can keep going. I don't I don't know because like I mean the first thing that comes to my mind is how could you live with yourself if you pulled one child out and let the other one die? Like how could how could you like justify? So it's better to let both children. Well, die. that's a thing, but that's like fucked up too. Like it makes sense to the the human world that you would just walk away and go get your margarita and your taco. And then talk about how tragic it is. It is really tragic. But it's this interesting, like, perceived efficacy, which is, it's a very academic word, which basically means the efficiency within your actions. It's like the, I hate the word, honestly. It's like, what are you even talking about? But it's, it's, it's the best, it's the one word that we've made up to mean the most efficient way of, like, your actions impacting something, like, it's an efficient way of saying that um but our decisions are really motivated by our perception of how effective our actions are going to be rather than the actual impact of what happens like when it comes to food specifically it is one of the most powerful ways Mm -hmm. that we get to vote that I feel like we can have a profound impact is through our diets. Yeah. And I don't mean Weight Watchers. I don't mean getting skinny. I mean evaluating how our consumption literally votes for what we can buy. Absolutely. And if I'm being blunt, and usually I am, depending on your position in our society depending on your whiteness depending on your wealth you have a different ability to vote through policy through money through diet and to the where that where this might be applicable like yes plant-based meals but i think we need to understand that it's more nuanced than just like be vegetarian or don't it's just, it, it, it's hard to feel like it's not completely fucked up, <laughs> like, and there's nothing we can do. I feel like I fall victim to that all the time. Everybody wants local, sustainable food. Everybody does. That's what people say. That's what they preach online. But when you give it to them and the cost that it takes to give it to them and the cost you have to put on the menu to give it to them is so much more than it any other restaurant and I think that's the most frustrating thing is that people want this thing but they're not actually willing to pay for it and I also understand that there's probably a gap sometimes like financially for people who want it but can't afford it I just feel like at a certain point it doesn't feel like I can make any kind of difference with the choices that I make and like it's just too much it just feels too much like you could never like again back to that drop in the bucket it's exactly like a drop in the bucket and I don't know like what do you do on a daily basis that 
makes a difference or does some sort of impact or even just like tricks my mind into helping me <laughs> feel like I have an impact no yes, but that for too. real for real um I mean one of the ways in which that I I still daily get to make a choice sometimes multiple times a day and is through my food choices and one of the biggest ways in which your food choices can be a direct climate action is by reducing your meat consumption and a lot of times in all of the like be better be like you got to do it the climate's dying blah 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 like you it this is all on you it gets into that like you have to go full ham vegetarian or vegan but I do think there's a lot of healing and even action and impact you can have if you're not somebody who can go completely vegan or completely vegetarian you can still reduce the amount of meat you're eating so you can focus on the portion on your plate of like this is the size of the vegetable side I'm having and this is how much meat I'm having and that's a really good step for some people some people can't like I eat fully plant-based meals and eat vegetarian multiple times in a week and some people like meatless mondays is like it's a big deal it's a big deal and they have to start there um we have to start treating meat like it is gold and it is a special thing that we get to have it is really yeah really valuable in terms of the amount of resources that are required to produce meat versus vegetables is vastly different and those resources include the amount of water per calorie that it produces but also you got to think about like what do plants eat versus what cows eat and so how yeah if you that's an interesting thought like how like we have to because that's a lot of water for a big animal that's not going to feed people or to make fuel but we have right. to grow the food to feed the animal that we then eat. And that animal is pretty big and takes up a lot of space. And it's way really more great. than a large man in the world, stereotypically. <laughs> I don't know, way more. I mean, a half a cow is a lot. <laughs> it is. And that's just half. Yeah. It, yeah. You're back to the freezer conversation. I am back to the freezer conversation. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, like, I feel like people who haven't, like, come face to face with a cow or like a meat pig don't realize exactly how massive these animals are and yeah that takes a lot of water the first time I met like a meat pig in person I was like oh my god Mm -hmm. you're intimidating it could take me out like if it knocked me down Uh it would it would be a problem it would eat you alive they do yeah they do you'd eat your little eyeballs right on out brown-eyed girl ain't a brown-eyed girl no more (laughs) (laughs) anyway animals are big um but it also takes a lot of grains like if you think of a field of oats and like or a bowl of oatmeal it's like it's related to a grass so if you've ever had grass in your lawn go to seed and you know how it has those little like like that's kind of how oats grow and so each one of those is just like an oat so then you have like a bowl of oatmeal like it takes space and acreage and land to create food and that's another reason why people bring in that like oh my god climate change and food 
we are gonna just have to change our eating habits as part of it and yeah. reducing our meat and be in building new comfort foods so that the children that we do have their comfort foods are plants and we're learning how to grow them we're teaching each other how to eat them in different ways that's really really important i think um and that's not even mentioning the cow farts but cow farts yeah the methane gas out of the little, their little asses <laughs> out of their little asses that's something i don't think about on a daily basis is the amount of cow pollution farts? that cow farts produce but also only I think one time in my entire life I was a little girl on a road trip and we went through somewhere in the Midwest and I don't remember where but there we went through some like meat production areas with these cattle farms cattle fields have you ever seen a manure lagoon not in person I have seen it in person and I've seen different ways of handling um the amount of waste the amount of poop the amount of shit that has to be dealt with and as humans we've built whole systems Mm -hmm. to deal with poop with the poop from the cow so they have on these farms lakes of poop lakes of them and then they'll like have like here's for your grass-fed beef like here's the fields of the hay and then we take the poop out of the poop lagoon that's what they're well they're called manure lagoons but it's like it's it's a it's a <laughs> lake of poop and then they'll well it's also like that. my mind goes to like what is that doing to the soil what is that doing to the plants to surrounding the, the soil the yeah. water in the ground like I don't know, all the birds and the bees that are drinking the water surrounding that area. Like, that's not okay. (laughs) You're back to sex. Like, the birds and the bees and the poop. This is getting weird. Hey, it all involves it all. It's all, we're all the same shit. It's just a circle. (laughs) But that's really disgusting. It is. That's really gross. It is. But I guess to the other point, fish has a certain impact. Mm Mm-hmm chicken has a certain impact beef has a certain impact and you know i think we have to make room for people to take their actions in all of the ways that make sense to them right so for some people it makes sense to not eat meat to not at all and for others it's i don't eat red meat and for others it's i don't eat pork and all of these things do make a difference and for me in my current state and this might change later i I'm no longer vegetarian or vegan because I'm really shying away from food products, but I eat mainly plant-based meals. And it's like, it's a sexy occasion if we make a steak. It's like... Well, that's how it should be. Well, it's valuable. It's valuable. It's something that's like on a birthday or like, I don't know, like you said, it's a, it's a special occasion. And I don't know, I with... I mentioned earlier being a daughter of a hunter at a young age I was taught no matter where what meat you're getting whether it's from a grocery store or from the woods always remember that that animal gave its life for you and so like we need to respect that cook that correctly put care into it even if it was on sale and it was $1.99 a pound like that it doesn't mean that it's nothing or that you can just like chop it up and not care about it like I don't know I still think we need to be intentional about it and respect it because it is it's gold especially historically love it 
and we'll probably come full circle and it'll become even more precious so we need to learn Mm -hmm. so that's one thing i do as a direct climate action to feel like i'm making a difference both in like okay this is reducing the impact i'm having on the climate but i think it's also an action that helps me feel more resilient for the future i'm facing because i don't know what my food sources are going to be so i need to learn how to cook different things and cook and and learn what plants have proteins and all of these things and also my life is food so i i i recognize that it's a gift that i have so much time to think about these things well i think it's a time and it's also like if you have the time you still have to make the choice to think about it too you know and i feel like that's very much who you are um to a point i mean i had to take out thai food for dinner last night it's okay i got i got pizza last night (laughs) we're in the same boat but no i think um being intentional about what you mentioned earlier voting with your groceries is super important being really intentional about what's on your plate and the portion size of your plate because also i mean this is a whole other tangent that i'm not going to go on but like eating a ton of meat is also not good for your health like and they're finding that more and more now because americans are so about just like meat 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 and cow farts that's gonna always be burned in my brain now the little the little, the little cows just farting away Farting waiting away. to just go down that tube of death they don't go down a tube it would In- be a very big that's not how it works <laughs> that's not how it works they get strung up and make that's how i cope it's a tube it's like a little slide they go down shoop. and then a hamburger pops out the other side yep yeah no they don't go down a tube <laughs> sorry everybody <laughs> that's not what happens i think um yeah being super intentional with what you're buying what's on your plate is really important um as how far as how do you do that how do i do that oh gosh um what, what's one way that you bring more intentionality to what you're buying or like maybe it's climate action related or just like um, even just like setting that intention because totally i would say for who i am in the place of my life right now i buy a lot locally um and that's my own privilege um especially my produce meat and eggs get a little more expensive the local you go but i'm privileged to live very close to my farmer's market and i go down there most every saturday depending on the time that i have to shop i will just get like a csa box or just one of the like the vegetable boxes that you just grab and go and yeah. I'm ready for the week. That's an interesting one because I think sometimes people do think that, oh, I don't have time to buy locally at all because you don't – time is such a commodity that totally. we don't recognize is really, really valuable. And it's the one thing we can't get more – like I can't buy more time. No. And that time gets more and more precious if you yeah. have more mouths to feed, if you have children, if you have a job. If you oh, have yeah. Business. If I had a kid, I would probably be saying a whole different conversation right now. I do think we live in this world where everybody has been, to be blunt, so spoiled with our groceries that sometimes it takes me a hot second to decide which box I want depending on what is in each box because I have to think, okay, well, what do I want? What does my partner want? It's that creative, those creative boundaries. I get a box. Yeah, exactly. I open it and I'm like, okay. Yeah. So today I have to learn what to do with eggplant what am I doing with eggplant and it mm-hmm. completely changes that tape in my head in terms oh, yeah. of how I'm meal planning I'm not meal planning for my waistline I'm meal planning because oh, I have an eggplant in my box and yeah. I need to learn how to make that 
it just it, like you said it kind of forces you to be a little bit more creative and go outside of your comfort zone which is another reason totally why I like to do the boxes because there's always at least two things in there that I don't cook with often and I don't know it makes it kind of fun but and is that related to your climate anxiety at all or your climate actions um what feels good to me and like this is the first thing that comes to my brain is the amount of transportation is very minimal I am on walking distance to the market and then um another thing that makes me feel really good in terms of being a chef is just it's super high quality like it lasts it's delicious the new it's super nutrient dense um I feel better when I eat local food um I think people might think that that's kind of pretentious but I think it's super true I feel like I actually get vitamins and I feel like full and like a whole person after I eat that food so it adds that what you're saying absolutely and I'm also somebody that really values those local relationships and it makes me feel less anxious when I think about like the apocalypse that we mentioned earlier that we're not supposed to talk about (laughs) but but like (laughs) if 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 like a big part of my brain is like going down that rabbit hole of like if there's apocalypse I'm building alliances and I'm investing in my local community so then my circle of what is me and what is mine starts to expand and I'm not in it alone anymore and I'm less likely to go hungry I love that idea and I think um I'm just maybe more of a pessimistic person than you because my first thought is like if the apocalypse happens like you have no friends anymore it is like full-blown the walking dead everyone's gonna steal everything from you if you have your backyard that's gated I've been to your yard it's super fucking cute and you're growing vegetables there's gonna be people hopping your fence and stealing your shit like my mind just goes to immediate like scarcity mindset maybe that's just my psychology of like having that fear too but it's not just your psychology you've been taught that yeah that's what you were taught you were taught that you're in this alone it's true and that everyone it's really hard to believe that you're not Especially when you put yourself in the mindset of like full-blown food systems are down. Potentially our water is unavailable at a certain point. Like but all the more reason to build oh, I agree. local communities. And so I what 100% you're agree. About, like yes, it's a nutrient density. But that time to build relationships and to slow down and be like my time is not just for production. Mm-hmm. My time is for you and for me and my liberation is your liberation we're in this together that communal mindset and understanding that we are interconnected is how we get out of this fucking mess i i do agree i hope it's true yeah but buying into it now i mean that does ease my anxiety whether it's true or not right right you know like if it's true if it's not true in this moment i feel better when i believe it's true like I do believe in that mindset I hope that's what it's like I just have like a fear that it's not and I guess that's where like my brain's at sometimes but um and I think that's just because I maybe I've just been working in the service industry too long and I'm like all these fuckers don't care about you <laughs> like I don't know maybe that's part I mean of it. this is some we've been brought up in doesn't yeah so we have to start to care for each other yeah and so buying local is one of those ways in which that I think you can have a huge impact like huge. beyond the like oh you don't have as many food miles and blah 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 like 
it's not subsidized we're not depending on the government we're not it's not coming from far away i know the hands in which this has come from yeah that is like the closest thing to a religion i can get behind personally oh fuck yeah working with that local food when you've interacted with the person who actually grew it makes me just value it so much more and it makes almost like this not in a bad way but pressure to really utilize it I'm going to do everything I can to use every single part of that vegetable and that's really important to me um and I think that kind of goes into like just watching my own food waste as much as I can also it makes your garbage really smelly and like nobody likes that (laughs) So with your mean girl coming back out, it's like garbage is smelly. It stinks and I just don't want to smell it. It's gross. But I mean, hey, it's quality of life. So um, being able to educate yourself and learning how to utilize your product to the fullest extent is huge. I would agree with that. And I that's one of the biggest ways in which I think my food choices are also another direct climate action because you may or may not know this rose but as a culture in the united states we throw away a third of the food that we produce it's freaking insane i'm gonna i'm gonna say it again a third and i know we're not great with our fractions well but like but i just like, think about how much how many people are homeless how many people can't put dinner on the table like that's ridiculous that question that line of thinking is exactly why i study food systems yeah because we have the capability, the capacity to produce enough, but the systems that we have yeah. built doesn't get the food to everyone. A lot of that waste happens before the consumer because there's so many pinch points along wow. the distribution system. More importantly, like just focusing on climate action, when we have food in our fridges that go to waste, like the strawberries I forgot to eat. Hmm right when those go to waste if you were to just throw those into the garbage they go to the landfill and they produce methane and that's the exact same gas that comes out of the cow's ass god cow assholes and throwing away food so all every food you throw away is a cow's asshole okay. <laughs> have that in your brain listeners i don't know maybe maybe a little bit okay <laughs> god but it is important so just understanding like what you're talking about of utilizing the whole food if you can to a point what are some tips that you would have for like home cooks to reduce their waste or reuse things like people sometimes get on that like i gotta use this whole thing and it's the radish tops and yeah you can find recipes for reduce your food waste and make a radish top pesto and i'm gonna tell you i work on an organic farm that is loaded with rabbits and the rabbits don't eat the radish tops because they're not very good. You can eat them, but that doesn't mean you should. And that goes for a right. lot of weeds too. Yeah. So I do think it's important to prioritize your pleasure because then you're more likely to do it. It's okay to compost some Ooh, things. you're telling me to pr- prioritize my pleasure? Yes, I am. I can do that. <laughs> but I agree. Radish tops, I've tried many different things. And I just, every time I regret it so so much and i'm just like i wish you i liked me this. some really good carrot top pesto though see that's i love carrot tops carrot tops and beet tops i will get down with okay so beet tops i can only handle in the spring and a very specific point in fall but that's only because i'm a nerd i think and i know that's like valid, when though. it's been outside too long i think that's valid because i when i've done beet tops i i just like cook the living shit out of them like and my favorite way to use beet tops is like 
chopping them up and layering them in my lasagna. Did you know that Swiss chard was bred to be an edible beet top? What? No, I didn't know that. They're related. When you look at the seeds, they look almost identical. But Swiss chard was made to be an edible beet top because beet tar- tops get really tough, but they still like have a lot of vitamins. Yeah. But Swiss chard is sweeter and more tender and still has like a ton of nutrients. Oh my God, that makes so much sense. I work with a lot of chard right now at work and whoa, that's that's a fun fact. I'm going to share it with my staff. That's anyway, so cool. Nerd. <laughs> but this is why we're friends. <laughs> See, I'm like the cooking, like, this little thing has to be this exact inches of a cut on each side. And you're like, here's a fun fact about seeds and plant relationships. And I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) Oh, God. One of my favorite things to do in the kitchen to reduce my waste is anytime I do anything with root vegetables, if I'm making, you know, putting carrots in a salad or a stir fry and I'm peeling that, potatoes, sweet potatoes, just take your peelings, put it in a bowl, toss it with some olive oil and salt and pepper and lay it out on a sheet pan, broil that shit, and you have like potato chips. And then you get this For little... For how long? Oh God, I'm going to be the annoying person and say until they're done. <laughs> I don't know. It kind of depends on... Because my oven's really not ideal. 15 minutes or so. But you're you're really talking about the broiler, the top. The top broiler, yeah. It. And like definitely like keep an eye on it because it'll go um, too far too quick. But... Yeah, broil them, make some chips, and then while my dinner's cooking, I have a little snack, and it's great. Nice. Yeah. That reminds me of um, needing to replace the broiler in my oven, and it had been broken a long time, but I was preparing for the big Friendsgiving, and I was having people over. I had my dinner all planned out, and my oven heating element burnt out. I saw it go. It always happens on Thanksgiving. Why does it do that? It always does. I flipped my shit, and then I said some bad words. I came back, and I was like, "Got to deal with this. That's the only option." Yeah. So I YouTubed how to take it out, and I was like, "That's it." Yep, I literally unplug it, took the heating element out of my own oven, went down to the appliance store, and I didn't have the words, like the words heating element. I wouldn't be like, I need a heating element for this model. I was like, just never do this kind of thing. This is outside of my typical gender role. You're not conditioned. So I'm like, you're not conditioned to know. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So then I give it to the guy. And he was like, oh, yeah, we have one of these. And I was like, okay, okay. I want to do two, though, because the broiler's been broken for a long time, and I just want to fix that. And he was like, oh, you must be a real cook. What? And he and he gives me, I think you'll know that, like, up, down, like. Oh, yeah. To the eyes, to the vagina, to the mm-hmm. eyes, to the vagina, and everything in between. Like, you must be a real cook. Like, why? Because you use a broiler? And technically, if you just say those words, if I were to write a report, and then he told me I was a real cook, people would be like, what? Yeah, aren't you? That's so fucking annoying. But it's it's that subtlety in the delivery. It is. And, and it's the like, eyes. I just, I've had so many sim- like similar stories I'm not going to get into. Because it's like, also, you don't know me at all, fucker. Like, what do you mean I'm a real cook? Like, just because I know what a broiler is or 
that's the thing. That motherfucker's probably never goddamn used a broiler. He doesn't fucking know himself. Shut yeah, the fuck up. Yeah, I used up. a fancy term and he was like, oh. Oh, you must be like a professional. You don't even know what professional cooks do. You don't even know what your wife fucking does. Shut the fuck up and drink your goddamn oh, Miller Lite and chill the fuck out. You beer-bellied bullshit motherfucker. I didn't even describe this person to you, but that was pretty accurate. <laughs> I'm not stereotyping. I'm just imagining all of the situations that I have been in. And I'm not saying you're wrong because that was. (laughs) (laughs) He's one of those dudes that comes home and is like, when's dinner? His beer. Maybe not. Maybe he is. Maybe he's a really nice guy and he's a feminist too. And he just was like, oh, yeah. Oh, look at you. Like, know what you're talking about. No. But the sad thing is I can justify it and I can like backpedal and be like, well, maybe they meant this. But no. Most likely, they didn't. And he's just a dumbass, and he's speaking out of his ass. God, I hate that shit. That's the goddamn patriarchy, Kamea. Is it? Is it? <laughs> yes, it is. I think that might be what you told me when you came over for dinner that night. And I was like, Rose, well, look what I did. Like, I fixed the oven. And you were like, you fixed the oven? <laughs> you did it. Oh, my God. Because I've never had to do that. Well, now I know. It literally just unplugs. It's bullshit. That's bullshit. They just make a big deal about it, but you literally just unplug it. I've just I've had so many situations at like my job in a pro- in like the professional kitchen, where like I don't know a fucking dishwasher stops working and everyone looks at me as like the leader and I'm like oh fuck I don't know how to do I don't know and I just start like I, I straight up like start pulling shit out acting like I know what yeah mm-hmm, I feel something stuck down here let me just shove my hand and see. <laughs> yeah 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 i know what i'm doing and then i have to call these big companies and like they're like what's wrong with your machine and i'm like so the thing that goes in the hole where the water is it's a it's like a plug so that's not holding the water and they're like what and i'm like i just have to like be like you're gonna you're already gonna be an asshole to me but i'm doing the best i can here and i always learn something and that's the that's the best part so whatever but fucking patriarchy it's everywhere in the professional life in the home life on thanksgiving it's bullshit and they can go fuck themselves and climate change is real climate change is real and we can make a difference through our food choices yes on an emotional level even if we don't really believe that it's impacting the greater good it does help us cope it helps us cope it also helps us in a way hopefully prepare and We're all in this together, so be kind to each other, and we can make it through anything. Thank you for listening. Your time is a gift, and we appreciate it immensely, especially on episodes like today that get a little bit heavier and just need a little bit more time to get into. This episode specifically, I think, was difficult for both Kamea and I since we grew up in a world where it's preparing us for right now, yet we have no answers of what to really do. If you or anyone you know are looking for ways to be more sustainable within your own home kitchen, please feel free to reach out to either of us. You can reach out to me, Rose, at Taste. Be salty. That's my Instagram <laughs> handle, you bitch. <laughs> culinary herbalism. Reach out to me at culinary herbalism. But also tasty, salty, real. <laughs> I 
I just took your identity. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Shit. Well, here we are. Next up, we're talking about a woman's place. Is it really in the kitchen? When you see women in the kitchen, you think it's a domestic thing. And when you see men, you think it's a creative thing. That's what we need to change. Alice Waters. <laughs> 